Hey everybody, welcome to the Lent podcast. I'm Jay, and uh, this is Holy Week. We are at Wednesday, halfway into this final week leading up to um, Good Friday, when we remember the crucifixion and death of Jesus, and then, most importantly, Resurrection Sunday, Easter morning, when Christ um, defeats death and comes back to life and changes everything, changes the whole world and changes uh, the destinies of those who commit their lives to him as Lord and Savior. And this Wednesday of Holy Week is sometimes called, sort of a funny phrase, sometimes it is called Spy Wednesday. And there isn't some sort of like amazing historical contextual linguistic reason for it. It's called Spy Wednesday because it's literally about a spy. Uh, This is the day during Holy Week when we remember the part of um, Jesus' story when he is betrayed by his own. When he's betrayed by Judas Iscariot, who was one of his 12 disciples, one of his 12 closest friends who journeyed with him, shared life with Jesus, lived shoulder to shoulder, sharing meals, traveling the countryside um, day after day. One of Jesus's closest friends betrays Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders and eventually the Roman guard who um, want to put him eventually to death. I want to read for you the story. Uh, It's found in um, various Gospels, but I want to read for you the version we read in um, Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 22. I'll jump around here a bit, but it'll paint the picture of what is happening um, on this day. This is Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. And then here's the key. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Just to give you a little bit of background, you may already be familiar with this, but Jesus is gaining and growing in popularity. The people love him. Remember, shortly before this, he has had his triumphant entry into the city. Um, Palm Sunday is the day we celebrate that story. And so people are cheering Jesus on. And there are rumors that he is the one who has been sent by God to change everything, to bring victory and liberation and freedom to God's people. And Judas does something that um, is strange and unexpected, but it makes sense when we read in verse 3 that his betrayal is spurred on by Satan himself. And I know that, you know, in the modern world, we have a hard time wrestling with language like this, stuff that sounds so 
spiritual, you know, stuff that doesn't really fit the paradigm of um, enlightenment and, and the scientific revolution, you know, this idea that Satan, that there is this being, this creature uh, that is otherworldly, that actually um, affects and impacts our day-to-day lives here. But the Bible makes it really clear that uh, there are things happening beneath the physical surface of that which we can see and feel and hear and smell and touch and taste. Uh, that there is a spiritual realm where warfare is being waged. Since Genesis 3, the enemy of God has been at war against God's people. And that war continues here during Holy Week, Luke 22. Satan himself, the enemy of God, enters into Judas Iscariot, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, and he compels Judas to betray Jesus. And after that, later in Luke 22, we see exactly um, how Judas goes about his betrayal. In Luke 22, verse 47, it says that while Jesus was still speaking, um, and here this is after Jesus has been in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knows what's about to happen, but he doesn't want it to happen. He, he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to die this painful death on a cross. And yet eventually he gives, he surrenders his will to God the Father. And he says, God, your will be done. And so after that, it says that while Jesus was still speaking to his disciples, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. This crowd is the religious leaders and the guard uh, and they're coming to arrest Jesus. And Judas is leading them there. And he, Judas, approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? A kiss in the ancient world in particular, I mean, this is still true in our day and age, but even more so in the ancient world, a kiss was a symbol of deep affection and familial bonds. This is the way uh, people in the ancient Near East would have greeted one another when they had a deep, meaningful, significant connection to one another. In fact, it can be inferred that the, the Jesus and the disciples, because of their very close bond, would have somewhat regularly greeted one another with a kiss uh, when they were apart for a short time and then when when they would gather back together. This was common. But Judas's kiss here is bitter. This is a different sort of kiss. In fact, the fact that Luke includes that detail in the story is really poignant. It's emphasizing the point that Jesus's arrest is not at the hands of those who didn't know him, those who hated him, those who were his enemies for the three years of his earthly ministry. But in fact, it comes at the hands of one um, who was closest to him. In Proverbs chapter 27, uh, it's really interesting. In Proverbs 27 verse 6, It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's almost pointing to what will happen in the Jesus story. That this friend of Jesus, compelled by Satan himself, becomes an enemy of Jesus. 
and does his worst deed, betraying Jesus into the hands of those who would arrest him, torture him, and eventually kill him on a cross. He does so with a kiss. There's a lot to be said here, but I think it's really interesting on a very personal note. Because in some ways, you and I, just living life, we have tasted the bitterness of this sort of kiss. Many of us listening to this have um, felt the, the, the very unique sting of betrayal at the hands of one we loved, one who we thought loved us. Many of us have been betrayed by those closest to us, and we know the difference. Sometimes when we are hurt by those who we know are already not for us, it's really not betrayal. We don't call it betrayal because it's expected. That sort of antagonism toward us is not a surprise. But betrayal is only betrayal when it comes as a surprise when it comes at the hands of one that we um, least expected would hurt or harm us. Many of us have this sort of reality as a part of our um, family narratives. Many of us have been hurt by uh, those who were once entrusted to care for us and to nurture us. Many of us have wounds from parents, from mothers or fathers or both who um, really, really hurt us. Some of us deal with the betrayal uh, we feel from our own kids or maybe grandkids or um, close friends that we thought were really for us, but eventually uh, proved otherwise. And the reason this day during Holy Week is so powerful is because, as with all of the other days during Holy Week, when we remember all that Jesus went through, this day offers us a, a strange and unique gift. It offers us the gift that Jesus truly understands even the nitty-gritty details of what it feels like to be betrayed by one we love. If you have experienced betrayal, if you've felt the sting and tasted the bitterness of being disappointed or hurt or harmed by one that you least expected would hurt or harm you, you need to know Jesus understands. He doesn't just understand conceptually. He doesn't just understand in the sort of um, omnipotent, omnipresent, he is God so he understands all things sort of way. He certainly understands in that way. But beyond that, he understands as one who has tasted the bitterness and felt the deep sting of being literally betrayed by someone that he was so close to, someone he loved, someone that maybe for a time loved him. It's interesting because there is historical evidence that Judas, based on his last name, Iscariot, there's some debate about what that last name means in terms of Judas's origins, but some scholars believe that the, last, that, that the name, the identifying name Iscariot, actually identifies Judas with a group of people, a group of Jewish rebels in the first century called the Sicarii. Uh, Sakari is a, is a word that literally translates dagger men, uh, like men with daggers. And the reason 
reason they were called the Sicarii is because these were rebels who were deeply opposed to Roman rule and Roman power. And they actually um, would commit acts of terrorism in the first century on behalf of their nationalistic cause. And we don't know that for sure. The Bible doesn't tell that tell us that for sure, but there is some evidence to this. Now, the reason that's interesting is because it means that if this is true, it means that Judas was actually um, wanting Jesus to overthrow the empire. But what eventually happens is by his betrayal, he actually gives Judas over to the empire to be killed on the cross. There's something to be said for maybe the the disappointment Judas felt and the fact that Jesus wasn't doing what he expected Jesus to do. I think sometimes we feel the same disappointment. We want Jesus to overthrow the powers uh, that seem to control our lives in ways that we want him to overthrow them. And sometimes because of that, we are tempted um, to toss Jesus aside and to go about another way. Another truth, another powerful truth that this day, Wednesday of Holy Week, reminds us of is that when the enemy tempts us to cast Jesus aside and to go about things our own way, that Jesus, even though he may not seem like he's victorious at all times, he's already won the victory for us. I mean, that's the cross in a nutshell. It's victory in the most subversive and surprising and shocking way. That Jesus wins life for us, not by destroying the Roman Empire, but by dying. And he does it so that he can enter into death, enter into the grave, and defeat death, defeat the grave from the inside out. So another powerful truth of this Wednesday of Holy Week is to remember that Jesus has already won, but he has won in ways that are so subversive and surprising in light of the way culture tells us victory looks like. The victory of Jesus doesn't look the way um, victory looks in our modern age, usually, through might and sheer and brute force. Jesus' victory comes by way of sacrifice and love, by entering death to defeat it from the inside out. So a couple of thoughts here to conclude, just as a sort of recap. One, if you have been betrayed by one you cared about and loved, I'm sorry, but you're not alone. Jesus knows your pain in a very visceral and experienced way. And you're not alone. Jesus stands with you in the pain of your betrayal. And two, if there are victories you are waiting for in your life and they never seem to come, remember that the ultimate victory has already been won for you. You do not languish through this life as one who is awaiting victory. You live freed from that pressure, knowing that the ultimate victory has already been won in the most subversive and surprising and shocking way. And in Jesus, you are victorious, even if life doesn't always feel that way. And you can live in that freedom and in that joy. 
So I hope that as we continue journeying to the cross of Good Friday and the resurrection joy of Easter morning, uh, that you'll sit with these ideas and these thoughts and that you will find comfort and peace in the midst of the story. Grace, peace, and love to you.